You are listening to Pastor Jared Ruddy of City Lights Church. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46, the gospel, Mark tells us a story about Jesus healing a blind man, but it's more than just um, Jesus opening his eyes. We see that every time that Jesus performs a miracle, it's for a purpose. It's not just to make somebody feel better, but what we understand is that Jesus healed countless amounts of people, but those recorded in the text are for a specific purpose to teach us more than that they're just feeling better. There's a purpose behind it, and I hope you'll see that this morning of the contrast in just a moment. Verse 46, the scripture says, and they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great crowd, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside, and when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, He began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they stopped. They called the blind man, saying to him, take heart, get up, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, Let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. Now this is not the only blind person that Jesus heals. Uh, We see that Jesus heals a handful of people. We actually see uh, in Mark chapter 8, we see that Jesus heals blind eyes. But what is he teaching us through this? I would suggest to you there's a really key phrase that we have to see. The scripture starts off by saying he is Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Now look at that phrase. He's the son of Timaeus. And then just two verses later, actually the the next verse says this. And Jesus of Nazareth, he cries out, Jesus, the son of David. It's interesting that Mark would write it just like this. He would say, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And then the next line, Jesus, the son of David. What is the contrast that he's trying to show us? Now, the name Bar to Timaeus is actually the word Bar just literally means son of. He's saying this is the son of Timaeus. I would suggest that this text shows us a contrast that every single one of us live in. That we live as a son of Timaeus. Now that's not your dad's name. That's probably not your mother's name either. But when you look at your life, we all live in a natural world having parents, whatever that looks like, that hand to us as much as they can, I believe, They want to give you the best life that they possibly can. They want to hand you something. But yet, like Bartimaeus, they can't give you everything you need. Now, Bartimaeus in this text is blind. He doesn't have the ability to see. Now, to my knowledge, nobody in here struggles with that type of infirmity or has that type of sickness or disease. But all of us have something. Every single one of us. And I'm I'm not, as best I can say this to you, I'm not speaking down, I'm trying to speak across because this text is about humanity. It's not about an individual or a certain group of people. We're all the son of somebody. We're all spiritually blind and physically blind in some way. It might not be your natural eyes, but every single one of us have some innate brokenness that's been handed to us. It's been given to us. So whether it comes from a family member, somebody did something to you, you got yourself into some sort of trouble with the law, or whatever it is, all of us have something that we could put our finger on. Now, it's amazing to me, and I may have shared this before, but it's amazing to me that we have no problem uh, judging somebody else, attacking somebody else, 
but if it's us, we have a tendency to, to, to deny uh, or to excuse those types of things. Let me explain it like this. You're driving a car. Somebody cuts you off. What do you do? Well, I'll tell you what I do. I don't know what you do. You scream, right? You throw your hands up. You lay on the horn. I wish Martin was here today. Martin actually burned out a horn on his car. He literally burned through the horn. I was like, that's a, that's a good man. He's a, he's a good driver, right? Every time I drive and Aaron's like, don't honk. I'm like, why? They need to know that that was wrong. If I, this, is, this is the only power I have over them, right? So he burned through a horn. That's, that's how many people burn through horns or would like to burn through a horn? Aaron's like, don't use the horn. They put it there for a purpose, right? There's a purpose. And, uh, and I'm, I'm not, I don't have that good of an accuracy. I'm probably about like 50-50 on should I use it or shouldn't have used it. Most of the time it's debatable if I should use it. But I love it. I love that horn. But if somebody cuts me off, what do I do? Instead of throwing my hands up like this, I throw my hand up like this. Sorry. Right? Now, the, the, what I'm trying to say is simply this, is that we have a tendency to be able to look at something in someone else and say, if they could only fix this part of them. Now, what's amazing, though, is that sin doesn't just cripple us or blind us in the point of attacking people's weakness, but it also blinds us in a way where we can uh, take pride in our own strengths. Have you ever noticed that? You can actually take pride in your own strengths. I was reading a book by Paul David Tripp, and he mentions it like this, that not only does sin cripple us to the point where we look at somebody's weakness, but then we also begin to look from our own strength. So that if you can sing good, you make fun of the person that can't sing. If you're athletic, you make fun of the person that's not athletic. If you're strong, you make fun of the person that's weak. If you're uh, really good at math, you make fun of the person that's not really good at math. If you're quick on your feet, business smart, then you make fun of people that aren't business smart. Isn't it amazing that if you really think about it, if you allow it to press your heart, you realize that, that sin is not just doing bad things, but it actually taints the entire way. It, 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 bre- it breaks the entire way that we see reality. Bartimaeus is not just some random guy that was blind and Jesus healed. He's a picture of every single one of us. But the text goes on. Bartimaeus sees Jesus and cries out, Jesus, son of David. The text, Son of David, here, this phrase is important because he's drawing from an Old Testament prophecy showing us that Jesus is the Son of God and the Son of Man. Jesus is what all of humanity is looking for. I want to take this moment in the message to say this. If you're not currently praying, please be praying for the Middle East. Please pray for Iraq right now. If you're seeing what's going on with ISIS, and please pray for Gaza, what's taking place between Israel and Hamas. Major, major, major injustice and violence. With that said, it's wonderful that our government, you know, may feel that they need to intervene, and this isn't a political side on one way or another, but guns will never silence guns. I'll give myself an amen for that. Okay, so, sorry. Guns will never, guns will never silence guns. If somebody that's stronger beats up somebody that's weaker, sooner or later, somebody else is going to rise up. What this is showing us, though, is that the Middle East, for the past at least 2,000 years, and I think even farther back when we see the Old Testament, has been at war and hostility with one another. And no political policy or political party will have the ability to bring healing to the Middle East. 
So it doesn't matter if the U.S. intervenes or sets up shop or if Walmart moves over there. At the end of the day, it needs something beyond human ability or capacity. Now, we see things from afar and we can go, wow, they need help. We look in our own doorstep, our own house, and we tend to think, ah, we really don't need that much help. Our own neighborhood, it's not that bad. Because unfortunately, in the U.S., we tend to primarily as church exist and preach towards people that are already Christians. We live our lives looking for people that are already Christians and saying, include us there, right? We kind of live in somewhat of a Christian nation. I think that's debatable. But something that has Christian ethics, Christian boundaries, and we're saying just come to church and agree with that. But what this text shows us is that we're not to exist and that God doesn't have your life existing just to um, try to be a better person or anything like that. But we are to see healing take place. Son of David says something like this. Jesus, he says, Son of David, you're everything I'm looking for. That's what that phrase is. Son of David isn't just some Old Testament dusty prophecy. He's saying, you're the answer to my life. You're the answer to everything I need. Scripture goes on. I think this is interesting. It says, and many rebuked him telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. Right here. This is the contrast that all of us live in. Pure pressure. Live in the contrast of our society. His values shouting at us, saying, this is who you are, and this is who you'll always be. This is you. And this man in that moment, didn't matter how much of a crowd was pushing on him, decided to cry out and say, I don't care about any other influence. Jesus, I see who you are. And the scripture says that he rose up and threw off his cloak. Now, let me say this. If you're blind, right, have you, uh, anyone wear glasses or contacts or anything like that? In the middle of the night, you take those things off and you go walking around trying to find something. If you don't wear glasses or contacts, you don't know literally the pain of that. How much you're like falling over things, running into things, banging your head on things. I ran into a glass door recently, uh, had my contacts out, and boom. And I was like, really? I know that door's there. Like this is, when, when you're blind, not just like kind of see a little bit. When you're blind, when you throw off your cloak, right, and you walk, you've left that thing completely in its entirety, This is the contrast. Bartimaeus sees Jesus as the ultimate treasure, the value, the Messiah, the Son of God. And what does he say? I'm willing to lay aside everything, my identity, my security, my safety, what society says of me, and I'm going to cling to the Son of David. When he does this, Jesus says, what do you want? He says, I want my sight. Instantly, he looks at him and says, go on your way. Your faith has been has made you well, he goes on his way with recovered sight. Well, this isn't just a guy's eyes being opened. It's not just him, well, now I'm healed, I can see. Now that's a marvelous miracle, but what is he saying? Bartimaeus, your healing is not just about your eyes. It's about a new life and a new reality. That this is the gospel again to us. That God is not interested in just relieving our situation or freeing us to make things a little bit better. He's interested in giving us a new way of life. I want you to turn quickly with me to Colossians chapter 3. 
Again, I left my phone, so I think I that was the introduction. I'm kidding. Colossians chapter 3. This is interesting. Look at the contrast here that Paul is talking about. Because we have to see that salvation to us is more than just stopping or starting or becoming more comfortable. It's actually a transition that takes place. Colossians 3, Paul says, If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life has appeared, then you also will appear with him in glory. Paul is saying this. You've been raised with him. Your life as a Christian is to look and be experienced dramatically different. Dramatically different than before you experienced Christ. That this is a new reality and a new way of living. If you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. What does that mean to us practically? That if you've come to Christ, there should be something internally. I can't say externally. You're not, you, it would be really nice if like, we got a halo or something when you came to Christ and everyone was like, oh wow, you're Christian, that's really marvelous. Like, you, know, you look deeply spiritual. It doesn't happen. right? You, you're still going to have somebody cut you off in traffic. Right? You're still going to go to work. You're still going to wake up. Like, life is going to be uh, the same when you become a Christian. Externally, nothing really changes. Nothing really changes, but internally. And Paul says this, if you've been raised, then what? Then seek the things that are above. Because we have the ability to participate with this new life in Christ or to kick against it. Uh, it, it i got to use an example. Uh, Facebook, which I'm just, my fingers are itching for a phone right now. So anything comes to my mind. Uh, a f- friend of mine not too long ago, um, or Facebook friend, they should really change it to Facebook friends and then Facebook acquaintances and then frenemies, and they should actually give you layers of people that you could group them in. It's like, we're not really friends, but we're kind of obligated to be Facebook friends, you know what I mean? Because if I don't, then it'll cause an issue, so let's just kind of be friends, although we're not friends. They should just call it something different, like Facebook people or something, like my people list, you know? Different, you know how many people would agree with that? You have classification and ranks and everything like that. You could set off a Facebook storm. You delete somebody. I can't believe you deleted me. Well, it's Facebook. Yeah, but it's almost this unethical Facebook code. You know what I'm talking about, right? So somebody that I'm not really sure where on that class they fit. It's probably somewhere between friend and acquaintance in there. Um, recently, though, I, I saw a post and it was basically saying, man, my life's, you know, I'm having a really bad time. I just need to get back to church. Like, I just need to get back to Sunday mornings. Like, I've been missing Sunday morning services. And when I saw that, my heart broke for this reason. That if church and if Christianity in its, in its fullest sense is simply about attending an hour and a half service, if that's our greatest reality, we are really missing something. If the goal is just to get here on a Sunday morning, like the goal is to pull yourself out of bed, somewhat look presentable, sit on a hard bench for an hour and a half, and that makes your life better, I can tell you a lot uh, a better ways of spending an hour and a half than on that hard seat you're sitting on. I can tell you a lot of things. Like Denny's, Denny's, right, the restaurant, you can go get a brunch special there. And that's, that's going to be productive and, and you're going to feel really good. So you don't have to come sit on a hard bench in because if this is church, if the goal is to wake up on time, roll in here, listen to a few songs, 
that was nice, endure a message and go, okay, that was whatever, and then go home. We're missing it. Paul's saying what? If you've been raised with Christ, life looks different. There's a new reality. What is that new reality? It should be as drastic as blind to sight. It should be that drastic. If you look at your life and you say, I've come to Christ, it's about the same as it was before you came to Christ, you have to really challenge yourself and go, maybe there's a little bit more that I'm not getting here. I feel like we need to be honest with ourselves, though. We need to be honest and recognize that when I read the words of the scripture, particularly Paul the Apostle, he looks like a complete madman. He looks insane. There's nothing about this that looks like it's written in the context where I'd be like, yeah, he sounds like a nice guy to have coffee with. There's nothing about that. Paul is saying, you are literally seated with Christ right now. Now, externally, your life's a wreck, your job you can't stand, family, whatever. All externally, that's what it is. Internally, though, what? You've been raised with Christ. Now, what's interesting, though, is that all you, although you don't have a halo that's like passed out, and you get baptized, at the, that would be great if we gave one of those. You get baptized, you come out of the water, right? It sits down, church barbecue, everyone's like, look at that, you know? Like the guys, you don't get one, you don't get a dove that lands on your shoulder that was just for Jesus. So internally things change, but what's interesting is this, is that over time things actually do change externally. At first, there's no difference. It's just kind of like, eh, yeah. There's no difference walking down the side of the street. You meet somebody. Mother Teresa looked just like everybody else. There's no difference. One of the deepest spiritually minded people I ever met looked like he couldn't tie his shoes. It's true. There was nothing externally about him that looked really overwhelming until I got to know him. I went, whoa, what is this? See, Paul goes on in Colossians and says this. Verse 5. Because you've received this grace, if you've been raised with Christ, if you've really been set free, this is what a new life is to look like. First, he tells us the negative side of things. Put to death that which is earthly or carnal, sexual immorality, impurity, passion. That doesn't mean become impassioned. He's talking about sexual impurity and passion. Evil desire, covetousness, and idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now, there's that contrast. You put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there's no Greek and Jew circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. This is what he's saying. Your new identity in Christ, there's no Greek, there's no Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised. He's talking about there's no people that are in the covenant or out of the covenant, uh, the old covenant, that we are included in Christ. He then tells us what this looks like. Those that are in Christ, put on them as God's chosen, holy ones, beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called into one body, 
and be thankful. This is interesting. Paul says this, that if you've experienced from blindness to sight, that what does it do? It doesn't just leave you to go on your own way. But he says that you were indeed called into a body. That grace is never um, self-centered or self-focused. That you've experienced a new life. And Bartimaeus, there was an expectation. He didn't just get healed and then he's like, okay, great. Now I can fulfill the career I've always wanted to fulfill. (laughs) This is great. Now that I'm healed, I can go be a rock star or whatever. No, we've been set free, we've been delivered, and what have we been called to? A body, a community. Grace is never self-centered, and grace is never about you. Notice what he says. All of those things are pointed outward. Everything about this, that if you've been raised with Christ, be kind, humble, meek, and patient. You don't need to be patient with yourself. You don't need to be humble with yourself, and you don't need to be meek with yourself. You don't need to forgive, well, maybe you do need to forgive yourself. That's another message for a different day. But what is he saying? All of these things are for other people. He goes on, wrapping up. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is what I want you to see today. There's a reason that Bartimaeus was named in that text. That wasn't just some random guy. We see that in the New Testament, when Jesus heals some, sometimes the people are named and sometimes they're not named. Sometimes they're named and other times it's just, hey, there's a blind guy, Jesus healed him. The part of that text in Mark that we don't see is this. that Most theologians believe that the reason that people were named in the New Testament that were healed And the reason that they went to great lengths to say, um, for instance, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was so that somebody could track you down and ask you. It is not a reach and it's not a stretch to recognize that Bartimaeus didn't just get healed and then just start his own career, but became a part of the New Testament church, became a part of New Testament community. This is what we see in Colossians 3.2. We see Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, there's a new way of living here. It's a new reality. And what does this new reality do? It calls you together. And what do you do together? It kind of looks a little creepy if we just read the verses, kind of just what they are. We're sitting around teaching each other and singing songs to one another, which looks awful lot like the 60s, just saying. And everyone is asleep. When I look at that verse, I'm thinking, this is straight Christian hippie, let the word of Christ dwell in you, teaching and admonishing, singing psalms and hymn and spiritual songs. It is a walking musical. That's what's going on here. Everywhere you go, someone asks for something and you sing back to them, right, in return. I know you want me to sing, I've got nothing coming to my mind right now. That's what this looks like to me. Let me tell you what this is not. This is not some hyper-spiritualism where you check out of your normal everyday life and the moment that somebody says something to you, you arrest the conversation. Think the term is Jesus juke where you change the conversation, somebody will say something and you instantly attach a spiritual connotation that the conversation has nothing to do with. So you're in an arena or something, you're like, man, the football game was great. 
Someone responds like, man, that's how our church should be, you know? Like, that's not what this is. Like, man, they're so passionate, like we are in worship. Like, that's not what this is, okay? The goal, the goal of this is not that we walk around and every time we're, we become just a living Bible that says that's not, not what this is. But what he's saying is this, that if you've been saved, if you've been raised with Christ, put on a new life, and this new life is internal, but it manifests externally. And then what I want you to do is be called into a community, called into a life with people that share the same faith and nature so that you can encourage one another to live the life that is already inside of you. This is what God calls us to. Grace is never self-centered. It always calls us to a body, to a community. Amen. All right, I'm going to move to the second half of my kidding message. Can we stand together this morning? As we close here just in a second, I pray that you've experienced grace, that you really have. And maybe you've experienced grace, you've got a very hard time, somebody else, forgiving one another, letting something go. Grace is the ultimate disarmor. I don't mean taking armor off, I mean it disarms you. Grace takes all of the bullets out of your gun. If you operate by the law, if somebody steps over that line, they do something wrong instantly. I got them. But what we see is this. Is that God, in his grace, has emptied all of that chamber. There is no bullet that comes towards you this morning. There is no bullet where God looks at you and says, I, you know, you've stepped this line, I'm coming after you. For those of us that have experienced Christ, those that have received him, he has absorbed all of that law, everything that was due us. Not that God's out to get you. It's not that at all. That God has absorbed that punishment that was due us for free. We love, love that part of the story. We really do. We love the first half. second half is this. That if we've received that grace... There's an obligation that comes into our lives. That if God doesn't have a full chamber of bullets loaded at us, it requires us to empty that same chamber towards other people in our lives. That if I've received grace, the only testimony, the only reality that I have received grace is that if it begins to start internally, no difference, but it begins to work out externally. This morning, as we begin to close in prayer, I pray this. Uh, maybe I'm just confusing. I can use different words or different analogy. Maybe you're here this morning and you're going, man, I love this salvation thing. It's kind of like I get free. Every time I do something wrong, I just say sorry. And Jesus is like, good. Here you know, Here's a sticker, a stamp. But yet everything else in life doesn't reflect what you've received. Today is a time where we look at Bartimaeus. And we have to realize that God is calling us, not just saying, hey, I want to make your life a little bit better. I want to heal you. But I want to send you on your way to a new life that reflects the grace of God. This is what I want to do. This is what I hope you join me in. And I hope our church reflects. Amen. Can we pray together? Father, as we take a few moments this morning and reflect on your word, 
We think about grace. We think about the fact that Bartimaeus didn't deserve it. He didn't pay you money. He didn't negotiate. He simply cried out for mercy. And this morning we recognize that salvation is built on mercy. It's not built on our works. It's not built on our negotiation. And it's not built on anything that we do to you. It's built on you calling us. Lord, as you called Bartimaeus to yourself this morning, you're calling us through your word to come and to be healed and to experience a new life. Father, I pray that we would see grace anew. That Colossians 3, if we've been raised with Christ, if we've been seated with Christ, put off the old self and remember who you are. Put on the new self. Lord, I thank you this morning that you're not hostile towards us, that you're not angry with us. And I pray that we would be reflecting that in this community and in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.